Celebrate and save at Ashley's anniversary sale. With Hot Buys, your choice of color starting at just $3.99. Ashley Sleep mattresses starting at $2.50. Plus, receive a free adjustable base with select mattress purchases. And shop top mattress brands like Stearns & Foster, Tempur-Pedic, Purple, and Beautyrest Black with 60-month special financing only at Ashley. Subject to credit approval. No minimum purchase required. Minimum monthly payment, down payment, tax, and delivery may be required. See store for details. Sports Flash, right, right now. From the 105.7 FM, the Fan Update Studio, I'm Jeff Orlowski. First on the Fan, Brewers, they fall 9-4 to the Pirates last night. Yo, Lee Chassin, he got to start his bad May, uh, month of May continued. Chassin, he only goes two and two-thirds, allowing six hits, seven runs, all earned, and four walks. However, there were a couple bright uh, spots in the game. Jesus Aguilar not only finally gets a hit, but it was a home run. Keston Hira, he goes yard as well. That's the rookie's fourth dinger already in his career. Today is a new day. Brewers, they trot out ace Brandon Woodruff on the hill up against Nick Kingham. Woody, he's 7-1. and one. Got a 322 ERA on the season, 6-0. and oh with a 2.37 ERA over his last eight starts. First pitch today is at 3.05. Our coverage begins at 2 with the Pella Windows and Doors of Wisconsin on deck show. Remember, after the last pitch, you make the switch. Bayview Shade and Blind postgame show here on The Fan. Another busy weekend in auto racing. IndyCar, they won, run the dual races in Detroit starting today. Race one uh, qualifying is underway now. Green flag flies at 2 Duel number two is tomorrow. Uh, green flag at two as well. Xfinity Series runs today in NASCAR. They're in Pocono. Uh, Cup guys, they run tomorrow. William Byron on the pole. Green flag tomorrow at one. Read more online, 1057fmthefan.com. Update brought to you by Coach's Pub and Grill on South 13th Street. Cheer for the crew all season long. Enjoy drink specials, giveaways, and raffles at Coach's on South 13th and Lake Denoon. I'm Jeff Orlowski, Sports Radio 105.7 FM, the fan, Milwaukee Sports Talk leader. Milwaukee, start your engines. It's time to talk about all things racing. NASCAR, IndyCar, sports cars, and Formula One. This is the Final Inspection Show, presented by the legendary Great Lakes Dragway in Union Grove. Now, here's your host, Steve Zaki. Welcome in to the Final Inspection Show here on Sports Radio 105.7 FM, The Fan. Uh, brought to you by, of course, the legendary Great Lakes Dragway in Union Grove and our good friends over at David Hobbs Honda in Glendale. Uh, you know, the weather was a little bit iffy earlier. Uh, great idea. Check out Great Lakes Dragway on Facebook and uh, find out when they're running today. There should probably definitely be cars on the track. And uh, if you can't make it out there for some good racing and some great food, it is a great day to buy either a, a new Honda 
or a used car, and they've got a used car, all types, flavors, shapes, anything you could want. David Hobbs Honda. You can visit them at davidhobbshonda.com as well. Uh, like I said, Jeff Orlowski, the Polish pipe bomb, in for Steve Zaki today, who is uh, causing trouble down in Iowa. And uh, let's find out what kind of trouble he's causing as we turn to the Great Midwest Bank hotline. And welcome in the Z-Man. Steve, how you doing today, buddy? I'm doing fantastic. How about you, Jeffrey? Oh, uh, you know, I'm not having as much fun as you are hanging out with the rich and famous in the middle of nowhere, Iowa. But uh, <laughs> why don't you uh, fill everybody in on what you're doing down there? Well, I'm at the 2019 National Sprint Car Hall of Fame induction ceremonies, which are occurring now at the uh, just outside of, I guess this would be turn four at the Knoxville Raceway in Knoxville, Iowa. And the easiest way to explain where Knoxville, Iowa is, if you take Iowa, which is kind of like a rectangle, draw an X on it, right in the center of the X uh, would be kind of where Knoxville is, right in the middle of the state, just about half hour, a little bit, I guess it would be southeast of Des Moines. Okay. And uh, what kind of trouble are you finding yourself in so far? You haven't called me for (laughs) bail money, but I know the weekend is young. Well, there's a uh, there was a only I've only known a really one person to ever get himself into trouble in Iowa, and uh, he he look he's a he, uh, a media member, and uh, <laughs> but other than that, it's it's pretty hard. I guess in the '80s they used to be pretty wild here during the Knoxville Nationals and that when they had their a lot of drinking parties, wet t-shirt contests and whatnot. But uh, Iowa Iowa today in 2019 is pretty tame. Okay, well, that's unfortunate, but I'm sure you'll liven that up as best as you can. Uh, you know, I don't want to uh, say you've got a uh, a reputation for livening, livening stuff up like that, but I'm sure you'll do what you can there, Steve. Um, let's, uh, before we, you know, get into everything else that you're doing at the uh, Hall of Fame, why don't we take a quick look back at the uh, Indianapolis 500 uh, first of all, what a race, you know. Yeah, how about that? Um, I think uh, it was uh, between our picks to see who won, and it could go, it could have gone either way uh, Going looking at those last uh, 20 laps, didn't it? Oh, man, with the way that the uh, Rossi and Pagano were just trading the lead back and forth, back and forth, back and forth, you know, it, it was funny because this is probably now – I want to say maybe like, you know, at least since the 100th annual, but probably a few years before that where, you know, uh, Memorial Day Sunday is such, you know, it's the, the biggest day in auto racing. And, you know, I, I you know me, I, I, I could care less about the F1 race in the morning. But so for me, the fun starts with the Indy 500. And then about halfway through the uh, World 600, at night for NASCAR, probably each of like the last five or eight years, I just sit there and I'm halfway through that race thinking, you know, they need to move this race either to Saturday or Monday because for them to sit there and follow up a thrilling Indianapolis 500, it just makes NASCAR look boring, in my opinion. Yeah, from Mr. NASCAR, too. It was... uh yeah, it was a bit of a brutal, brutal race. Um, but yeah, the 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 five hundred certainly. 
I mean, let, let, let's. And there was a little bit of the old, uh, you know, the, if if the first half of the race is boring, but the second half is is okay or you know, exciting, then it's a good race. But you know, I, I think sometimes we may get a little spoiled, uh, thinking it has to be you know the greatest race ever from lap one to two hundred. So uh, you know, there's lots of strategies and whatnot that need to be played out. Plus, there you know, you 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 had the weather variable, which, well, go figure, the weathermen had it wrong. So even going up to that morning, they were saying, "Oh, I don't, we don't even think this race is going to get done, uh, completed at the full 200 laps," and it it did without a problem, not even a sprinkle. So go figure. Well, yeah, you know, it uh, it's funny because you know, like I said, we're. Uh... You know, following the Indy 500, the, the 600-miler for NASCAR is, A, boring. Uh, it just it seems like everything is just kind of going IndyCar's way. And you mentioned it. You know, they were supposed to have um, – there was supposed to be at least one, uh, you know, basic weather delay, if not a full cancellation. And Mother Nature did her part. She held out. It turned out to be a gorgeous day for racing down there. And then they put on one heck of a show, and, uh, you know, the crowds were huge, and it was just, everything about it was just, just blew NASCAR out of the water. And, uh, you know, I obviously I know it's tradition that you got the 500, then you have the 600 the same night, but, you know, if NASCAR is going to continue to get embarrassed like that, for, and obviously IndyCar spends the whole month of May in uh you know down there in indianapolis getting ready for the 500 they got the grand prix at indy two weeks beforehand but you've got all the the testing the practice the qualifying bump day all of that stuff was thrilling and uh it just makes nascar kind of look like a dud following it and well, and, and like you said i'm i'm a big nascar guy i'm i'm not you know i, I enjoy indycar racing but I'm not a big road course guy, and they run too many road courses. I want to see them on more ovals. And it, to me, it also showed the importance of oval racing in IndyCar because of how exciting the 500 was. Well, there's a there's an excellent article in Forbes magazine. If you look it up on Forbes.com, it talks about Mar uh, the, the leadership in IndyCar. Uh, Mark Miles, who took over in, in 2016, I think, or 2015, and then uh, also with Jay Fry, and and the biggest thing I got out of that article is is IndyCar has been a, the big difference between IndyCar 10, 15 years ago and now is that IndyCar is proactive instead of reactive, and I think we've kind of had a switching of the sanctioning bodies where you have IndyCar being proactive, taking control of their destiny in their own hands. Working on that, working on a, a better TV deal, uh, sponsorship package with NTT Data now, with Verizon stepping away, and and doing all this stuff, and, and kind of listening to what the owners want, the drivers want, how to make a better show and whatnot, and they're doing that. The TV ratings have been up about 20% overall, and and it, you know you have things trending upward in a sports world in which a lot of things are trending downward. And then, I mean, what sums up NASCAR better in the in the last five years than them being reactive? Mm -hmm. They haven't been proactive. 
And every time people bitch and moan about something, they make, they do, you know, they change something and they change something and they keep on changing things. And that in itself has been frustrating fans. And, and case in point in Charlotte, where you saw, you know, the first few laps, yeah, cars are real tight. Uh, you got three wide racing and whatnot, but it, it, it's to a point where, yeah, because they have to make their move now because once the cars get a little spread out, they can't pass like they have. And if you, if you want to see the difference between the NASCAR that I grew up with in the 70s, 80s, and, and into the 90s, which was, you know, to me, their heyday is, is, is look at some old races on YouTube, places at Michigan and Charlotte and Atlanta where they didn't have that issue. And they seem to be having, having that issue certainly now with the rules package they have. And they, they keep on putting Band-Aids on, on things that need more, more medication and more doctor's care than just that. And, and for somebody that, that is a race fan, not just an IndyCar fan, Indy, you know, or NASCAR fan, or whatnot. You know, that's why I'm here at a dirt track race, you know, at a, at a dirt track oval because I love sprint car racing and, and and all sorts of racing. That's what I grew up on. So it's certainly frustrating to see where NASCAR is at at uh, now. And and uh, you, you totally agree with you regarding the, the it basically was a tale of two races on last Sunday. Yeah, and that's very well put about uh, IndyCar being proactive, listening to the drivers and teams and adjusting their packages uh, after obvious, you know, much, uh, you know, consideration, much negotiation and uh, fact-finding and all that, where anytime you listen to a current NASCAR driver, one of their main complaints is that they feel like they don't get listened to at all by the sanctioning body. Like sure. they're, they're completely ignored and everything like that. And, um, you know, it's just, it's, it's night and day difference. And like you said with, you know, and obviously the indie numbers, uh, besides the 500 pale in comparison on a week in week out basis with NASCAR, but, uh, the fact is, is that they're moving in the right direction and their numbers are moving in the right direction where NASCAR is still slip sliding away. And, um, you know, I like you said, I don't think you have to look too much further than the fact that they listen and actually take into account the owners and the drivers opinions on how to make the series better. Yep. So, yeah, yeah, that, yeah. that's a great point. Great point. It uh, okay. So I well, you know we gotta we gotta run. Actually, let's run to a break, and then can you stick around one more segment on your own show, Steve? Sure. Sure. All right, fantastic. We're gonna have more with Steve Zaki, who is live uh, from the cornfields of Iowa, getting into God knows what kind of trouble down there. Uh, I'm sure he'll tell me off the air their true stories. He um, his wife Susan must be listening now, so. It's the uh, the tamed down version, but, uh, you know, between you and me, he's on hold now, so he can't hear what I'm saying. But uh, between you and me, I'll, I'll tell him I won't tell anybody, but I'll, I'll tell you guys all the trouble Steve gets in. But we'll be right back with more of the final inspection show right here on Sports Radio 105.7 FM, The Fan.
Welcome back to the final inspection show here on Sports Radio 105.7 FM. The fan, Jeff Orlowski, the Polish pipe bomb, sitting in for Steve Zaki. Uh, we're brought to you by the legendary Great Lakes Dragway in Union Grove and, of course, our good friends over at David Hobbs Honda. Uh, we go back out to uh, the Great Midwest Bank hotline. Welcome in Steve Zaki again. Uh, Steve, real quick, obviously, Simon Pagino, he swept the month down in Indianapolis winning uh, the 500, the pole for the 500, the Grand Prix of Indy. Uh, a, how rare of a feat is that, and how impressed are you by the Frenchman who it all got started after I interviewed him? It did. It did. And I think he mentioned you in victory lane, not on TV, but I think it was on the radio. Yeah, he should uh, have. That's for sure. <laughs> but, yeah, the first poll since 2009 uh, at the Indy 500 uh, poll winner to win since 2009 at Elio Castro Neves. Uh, and it kind of runs its streak. There's been a lot of polls. Uh, drivers that won from the poll in the past, but not, not, not for the last 10 years. Shows how competitive the race has been uh, down in Indianapolis. But uh, Pagano is an interesting story because we we even spoke in this show towards the end of last year. It's like he, the guy was struggling and struggling mightily for the you know, mighty team Penske, and it gets to a situation where you know people start you know whispering you know how long you know can he stay with Team Penske? Team Penske is a driven you know obviously you know pretty much number one race team in motorsports, you know, and you wonder how long is, is he going to uh, accept you know, the, what Simon was doing, the struggling so badly last year. Well, they kind of had a team meeting, and, uh, you know, Simon was like, I'm not comfortable in the car. And and, and Penske is one of these where the, the, the crew, the crew chiefs and that kind of set up the car. And they really weren't listening to Simon. He goes, I'll tell you what, set it up the way I want it. Well, lo and behold, they did. Guess what? The guy's winning races. Imagine that. Making the driver comfortable counts in, in, in racing. So, And that's what Team Penske was able to do. And, and, and the kid, you know, talented driver. And, look, he sweeps the month of May at Indianapolis. Yeah. Uh, one of the things that, you know, and obviously I, I picked Pagano. How many times can I pat myself on the back in the same segment? I know. You're going to sprain yourself. I know. It, I just felt uh, I think I might have tweaked something uh, just now. But, uh, you know, one of the things that uh, kind of took it, took away from it for me was all the hype that his dog get got in victory <laughs> lane. Did that, did that little mutt steal the show? <laughs> it did. You know, and I was I was a – you know, when he won, I was a little frustrated, you know, and, and I thought, you know, I'm like, I, I, th- I think I even tweeted, he blocked his way to a win. And second thought, you know, he was proactive making those moves, and it was Rossi that, that was following him. And it, it's like, it's the last lap of the Indy, Indy 500. Now, granted, we had this discussion about the Kentucky Derby, a little different situation, but, you know, and then when I saw Norman, the dog, in victory lane, I was like, this is fantastic. I just thought it was one of those special moments. And this ain't one of these, you know, PR that, you know, Norman, if you if you followed the IndyCar series and been, you know, and, and been in the paddock, Norman is a rock star in the paddock and out by the RV areas uh, for the IndyCar drivers. And that Norman is a popular dog, and to see him in victory line was pretty cool. And then when they were cheering him and he started to bark, 
that, that that's just a really, really cool moment. Now, everybody's saying, oh, that's so cool. It's not the first time, though. Um, actually, if you date back to 1959, Roger Ward, driving for Bob Wilkie of Milwaukee, Wisconsin, leader card racing, A.J. AJ Watson, uh, Indianapolis mechanic in that team, uh, 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 Skippy, the uh, dog, made it into victory lane along with his wife, Joe. Um, So they were in victory lane, not only there, but also several times at the Milwaukee Mile in the early 60s. Skippy, the dog, made it uh, into victory lane with Roger Ward. Um, and then prior to that, I don't know if he was in victory lane, but Speedy, Speedy was a terrier of uh, Radio Gardner, who was one of the top mechanics and was uh, the mechanic for Boyle Racing in the late 30s, early 40s, especially when Wilbur Shaw was driving uh, Maserati to consecutive victories in 1939 and 1940. Speedy was a very popular, and if you look on Boyle Racing uh, on their Facebook page. There's some pretty cool photos of Speedy in the cockpit of the Maserati with uh, Radio Gardner, uh, his owner. So uh, dogs have been around in, in racing, but it's kind of a cool moment seeing Norman. And how, how can you not like a dog named Norman in Victory Lane? Skippy, Speedy, and Norman. Uh, Steve, I, I hate to be the one to break it to you, but you need to start drinking, uh, more often than you do now. The fact that you're able off the top of the head to roll off some racing dog history. Uh, you know, a lot of people I'm sure that are listening, find that very cool. I find that seriously troubling. Um, and, uh, you know, my God, man, get out more often. Uh, let's do a little uh, IndyCar trivia for uh, for you here. When was the first IndyCar race held, and where was it held at? What do you mean, first IndyCar? Wait, one more time with that. Where was the first IndyCar race held, and when? When and where? Well, the first national championship car race? IndyCar Boy, race. IndyCar race. Uh, you could view that a couple of different ways. If it, it happened whether, in Portland, Oregon. When was the first IndyCar race in Portland, Portland Oregon? Oregon. Where, what, what book are you reading here? I, I mean, I okay, what, like 1909, 1903 or 1909, something? June 12th. I'll give okay. you, I don't know, one-third of a point there um, just because I got a grade tough because you know too much stuff. Uh, in 2016, how many races made up the IndyCar series? I don't know the new stuff that well. I'll say 15. 16. Oh, okay. Uh, I'll each right twice. 15 weekends. Okay. All right. Uh, what is the current uh, sanctioning body for the IndyCar uh, series? IndyCar, all capital letters. You got it. Um uh, okay, what trophy is given to the winner of the 500? The Borg Warner Trophy. Yeah, that one's too easy. Steve Shunk would kill me if I got that one wrong. Uh, okay, what is... Uh, that's too easy. Uh, what is the most watched race of the IndyCar series? That one's easy. Well, that's the Indianapolis 500. Who was the first female driver in an IndyCar race? 
Uh, Arlene Hiss, Phoenix, 1976. All right. However, Paula Murphy drove a Novi around the Indianapolis Motor Speedway in 1963. What was the original sanctioning body of IndyCar? Triple A. Triple A. Yes, that same Triple A, the Automobile Association of America. Uh, cars in the IndyCar series use what kind of fuel? Uh, methanol. Or is it uh, corn? Yeah, eth- ethanol. Yeah, E85, yeah. Yeah. What was the average speed of the first IndyCar race winner in 1909? Oh, 1909? Yeah, average speed. Was that Berman? Was that Berman one that was? Because there was a bunch of races in 1909. Howard Covey. Howard Covey. I don't know. I I know. Uh, Ray Haroon was, I think, 74 miles an hour in 1911. All right. Um, The first, the average speed for the first, for the race in 1909 was uh, 56 miles an hour. Yeah, it wasn't even on bricks then. It was on like a tar. They had a lot of issues back then because it was like a tar asphalt mix, and the the, the cars were tearing up the track. And they had a bunch of races, and they would stop it. They were they, they were only running like real short races, and uh, they did that in 1909, 1910, and they it sucked. So that's when after the 1910 races, they say, well, we need a, a stronger base to handle these cars and that's where they came up with the brick surface okay uh how much horsepower does a 2.2 liter indycar series engine produce uh is it about 560 yeah five to seven hundred okay uh what what driver is the most wins in indycar history aj Foyt, 67 what automobile mogul built indy motor speedway Oh, Carl Fisher. All right. All right. Well, I, I got you on one, I think. So, uh, well, I'll, uh, I'll take my victory. I'll, I got to use the other arm now because I tweaked <laughs> the first one, but I'll pat myself on the back anyway. Uh, Steve, have a great weekend down there at the, hey. uh, in the middle yeah. of nowhere, Iowa. Don't run, don't pull over for gas in any kind of those children of the corn looking towns, yeah. please. Well, it looks like you guys are going to be getting good weather because they all say Iowa weather is like uh, eight hours before uh, Milwaukee or Wisconsin, and right now it is just absolutely gorgeous here. It's it's, uh, clear blue skies. Had a little shower come through this morning, but it is uh, warmed up, and it is a nice blue sky above us. Nice. Yeah, we got up into the mid-80s yesterday, and uh, that was a nice uh, change of pace. So. Yes, it is. It, well, uh, you know, it has to warm up sooner or later, right? You would hope, but don't this, don't expect it. Like it is Wisconsin. Of, this, I thought it was going to be like the Game of Thrones where winter lasts for years. Well, <laughs> you know, yeah, winter is the longest eight months of the year here, so it uh, it makes sense. Well, Steve, I hope you have a great time. I know that uh, you interviewed the uh, museum curator down there. We're going to yeah, hear that. Yep, second hour. I think you'll enjoy it. A lot of neat stuff happening at the National Sprint Car Hall of Fame, including the eight inductees going in today, including uh, drivers like Richard Gasman Griffin, uh, who was a popular West Coast uh, sprint car driver, and uh, Jason Johnson, who unfortunately was the driver that was killed at uh, 
uh, Beaver Dam last year, but was kind of really getting into his own and won the 2016 Knoxville uh, Nationals here and then winner of over 250 uh, sprint car races. And, and uh, our own Tom Schmidt was the curator and one of the leaders behind the Sprint Car Hall of Fame, uh, getting it off the ground, a uh, former employee over at Miller Brewery, lived in Milwaukee for uh, many years, and uh, he's well-deserved uh, going into the Hall of Fame, too, uh, this year. So I uh, hope you enjoy the uh, uh, interview with uh, Bill Wright, the curator and coordinator here in Knoxville at the National Sprint Car Hall of Fame. All right, and I almost forgot, and I can't since I'm on a roll. I'm uh, I'm one for one. I've got a one race winning streak here. Uh, Steve, who's your pick for dual one today? Uh, Alexander Rossi. Oh, okay, changing it up from the 500. I see. Uh, yeah, who's your pick tomorrow, for, for tomorrow? Yeah, I'll take Joseph uh, Newgarden. Newgarden That's and pretty chalk because I think they're on the front row. What about Pocono? Ah, uh, Pocono. Let's go Harvick. All right, he's not going to win. Stuart Haas is cursed this year. Okay, sounds good, Steve. Have a blast. Enjoy that Iowa caviar, which we all know is corn on the cob. Have fun, and I know you're back in studio next week, and because of that, yeah. I'm taking off. So, ha-ha, sucker. I won't see you until uh, September now, right? Yeah, something like that. You know, we'll just uh, quietly avoid each other the rest of the year. <laughs> Very good. Thanks, Jeff. Appreciate it. All right. Take care, boss. That was Steve Zaki. Join me on a great Midwest Bank hotline looking to buy, build, renovate, or refinance in 2019. Look no further. Call Great Midwest Bank today. Great Midwest Bank providing simply local common sense lending to your community since 1935. The fun isn't over when we return after this very short break here on the final inspection show. We're going to bring in Dennis Michelson from D-Mike Media, talk uh, a little bit about the 500, but mainly it is going to be two segments of wall-to-wall NASCAR. So Dennis Michelson, he's coming up next. You're rocking with the final inspection show here on Sports Radio 105.7 FM, The Fan. Final inspection. Final inspection. Now, Dennis Michelson of D Mike Media is here to give us the inside track on NASCAR and the world of short track racing. Almost tempted to let this song play. I kind of like this one. Uh, Welcome back to the Final Inspection Show here on Sports Radio 105.7 FM. The fan, Jeff Orlowski, the Polish pipe bomb, uh, chained in studio today. Steve Zaki made sure that uh, I couldn't escape here so he could have yet another weekend being wined and dined, this time in the middle of nowhere, Iowa. So I'm not really jealous of him this week like I was last week when he was down at the 500. Uh, To make my jealousy even worse, let's bring in Dennis Michelson from D Mike Media. He was also down at the 500 last week. Dennis, how you doing today, buddy? I am doing fine. In fact, I'm almost recovered after the crazy weekend because I was down there for the Freedom 100 on Friday. Then I, of course, called a wildfire game up in Chicago on Saturday and back down on three hours of sleep for the MD 500. And I'm telling you, I was so glad I combined everything into one because what a magnificent racing weekend down at Indy. I'm glad I didn't miss any of it. Yeah, you got that right. That was, you know, it was an exciting month as a whole down there. And uh, 
And I was when I was talking to Steve in the last uh, two segments, you know, I said that, um, you know, if I'm NASCAR, I, I actually have to start thinking about either moving that race to Saturday, the 600, either to Saturday or to Monday, because this is like year eight in a row where the 600, you know, if, if you watch the 500 and all the excitement and the pomp and circumstance, you can feel actually through the TV you know, the pressure and just the back and forth passes for the lead and all that kind of stuff. And then an hour later, you flip on the 600 and you're fighting to stay awake. It just, it's about, you know, five to eight years now in a row where NASCAR just gets murdered in uh, entertainment level from IndyCar. Yeah, I agree with that. But I will say this. I was thoroughly entertained with the 600. Now, I watched it the next day on on replay without having seen who won it and all that kind of stuff because I was driving home while the while the race was starting and I didn't want to, to miss out on you know just catching the end of it when I got home from Indy. And the race itself was really pretty good, especially if you hold it up to comparison to other races from Charlotte recently that forced them to try the dumb roval idea. Um, at least I think it's dumb. I'm kind of in the minority there. But as a race, it wasn't bad. But you're right. When you compare that to this unbelievable display that we saw, I mean, you had less than 20 laps to go without any artificial cautions, without any stage breaks, without any of these other gimmicks to, to get the field closer. And you had two cars fighting tooth the nail and you had two more cars that were less than you know a half second behind those two so you had such a, a great race you had all kinds of strategy in play you had all kinds of drama in play and then you get into the to the nascar race which while being okay while being good being entertaining for charlotte was nothing compared to the 500 at indianapolis yeah, I agree with you. I started watching the 600. I, I was working that uh, most of that Sunday. I watched half the 500 at home, came into work, watched the second half, uh, watched part of the 600 here, and then went home and caught up with the rest on the DVR. It wasn't a bad race, but in comparison to the Indy 500, it cannot hold a candle. And, you know, it's just multiple, multiple years in a row where that where that's the case and I agree with you you know for the last handful of years Charlotte has been one for me one of the least oh. exciting worst tracks on the NASCAR schedule and they actually put on a a, a very good show and I will say that the uh, the halftime when they came down and did the 30 second of silence uh, for all the heroes that uh, that sacrificed everything for us on Memorial Day uh that it was better than I thought it was going to be when I read about them doing it. Uh, it, yes. it wasn't, it wasn't as bad as I thought that, that that was going to turn out. No, I, I actually liked the way they did that. Um, I thought it was, you know, I wouldn't want them to have a halftime break in every race, but to do it on Memorial day weekend, I thought was just the right level of respect and honor to show to, uh, to folks because it's a pretty big deal why we get an extra day off. You know, we get an extra day off to maybe go to the beach, and that's only brought to you by the fact that a lot of folks died on Omaha Beach, and 
other places around the globe to to give us that right yeah you got that right you know it uh it's it's great and you know i don't know i got into it last week uh the first segment you know um please don't say happy memorial day it's not just a day to get drunk and barbecue you know this is about the heroes that died and all that and i feel that way you know every day of the year and um it drives me nuts because I'll go to my kids' school and uh, and volunteer and help out over there sometimes, and uh, it's always some kind of party around Memorial Day. And uh, the teachers, oh, make sure you thank every veteran you see for their service. <laughs> no, that's not that's what the day's about, <laughs> you know. And these are the educators trying to teach our kids. So it, uh, you know, it, it it's amazing. But anyway. So there, it was a decent race, and there were a little bit of fireworks. You had Logano and Bowman. Uh, they got together during practice. They got together during the race. Uh, Bowman comes out and says, oh, he's going to get his, quote, you know, sort of, uh, I'll pra- paraphrase that. And then he kind of walks that back the next day. Uh, I'm sure he got his wrist slapped or whatever, but uh, – you know, NASCAR needs another rivalry, and we I've been saying it for years and years now, and just when you think that one is, is kind of coming up, it, it just it fizzles out. And, uh, you know, I, I think it would be nice if Alex Bowman uh, got into a rivalry, you know, driving the 88, uh, the old Dale Jr. car, uh, running for Hendrick and stuff like that. He's having a phenomenal uh, month, second, 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 and seventh in the 600. So he's showing that he's talented. He's got speed and all that. Um, you know, I wouldn't be opposed to a uh, Logano and Bowman rivalry. Yeah, but here's the problem is I don't think you're allowed to have a rivalry because also at the 600, Ricky Stenhouse Jr. got on his radio and said, I'm going to knock that. Kyle Busch is bleeped into the bleeping grandstand. And the next day, like all week, you had people in NASCAR chat groups and online on social media, on Twitter, tagging, you know, standouts to the point where he kind of, he kind of let his uh, Twitter account kind of shadow for a while, kind of ghost for a little while because he was tired of getting all the heat. And they're saying, he should be suspended. He should be this. He should be that. Oh my goodness! For something the guy says on the radio, are you, are you kidding me? It, but maybe this is why we can't have a good rivalry in NASCAR. Maybe the fans have become too soft. I mean, you know, we're just talking fantasy football uh, with with some analysts, fellow analysts on on Twitter today, and I got accused of calling a guy an idiot because I said his take was was pretty idiotic. I wasn't calling the man an idiot. I was just saying his reasoning was flawed. But we're so sensitive today. If somebody says something to hurt our feelings, then we gotta have a, you know, we gotta puff our chest up. We gotta pout. We gotta get all upset. This is what is happening in NASCAR with the fans. So, you know, Bowman tries to get into it with with Boyer. Boyer tries to get into it with somebody else. Stenhouse into it with Kyle Busch. Kyle Busch into it with the whole world. You know, in, in the fans' reaction is, oh, I'm not going to buy that Spongey product anymore because he's being mean. That's why we can't have a good rivalry because we've gotten too soft. Yeah, yeah, that is why we can't have nice things. And uh, that's why Twitter, you know, it's a it's a great outlet to uh, 
you know, to sit there and, you know, basically I use Twitter like the the sports pages of a newspaper and uh, you get exposed to different sports, different takes that you normally would not see. Uh, you, you know, if you, you sit there and, you know, I, I'm obviously a Stuart Haas fan, so – but, you know, you get both takes plus and negative and all that. Uh, beyond NASCAR, you get the takes from the national guys on your local team so you're not just surrounded by local media coverage that tend to be homers more often than not and not as objective as the national media. So you get a good look, a good 360 version of uh, what's being said and what's out there. But, you know, as soon as these guys get hit with a little bit of truth, like you said, everybody's running and screaming and, oh, yeah, suspend this guy, suspend that guy, and, and it's a joke. And NASC, or Twitter just becomes a uh, a squeaky wheel with just a bunch of people bitching. Yeah, that's what I don't get. It's like, you know, go ahead and engage people and have fun. But, man, people get so sensitive if you, if you disagree with them on something. And, and here's the thing. If I was a Stuart Haas fan, I'd be I'd be happy that other people were ripping my guys because that means they're jealous of how they're doing. I mean, we just saw it with the with the Cubs, you know, and Cardinals, the big rivalry down there in St. Louis started yesterday, you know, in in, in jest at the NASCAR or at the Cubs convention, Chris Bryant joked about, nah, I don't want to go play for St. Louis someday. It's a boring town. Yeah. And of course the fans were waiting to boo him. And of course the Cubs bench, riled on by Rizzo, all got up and booed him as well during his first at bat. You know, but it wasn't mean. It wasn't malicious. People weren't throwing death, you know, death threats out or whatever at him. They were just having a good time with a sports rivalry. We're not allowed to do that in racing anymore. Everybody's got to be buddy buddy. Everybody's got to be best friends. And then you wonder, like, if you look back at all of NASCAR history, and I know I'm an old guy compared to you, Jeff, but if you look back at NASCAR history, there's always been a guy that's wearing the black hat, and there's always been a guy wearing the white hat. It's been that way in so many sports for so many years. You know, but now we can't wear Everybody's got to wear a shade of gray. Uh-huh. We can't offend anybody. We, we don't want to do things. But as, as much as things have changed, one thing that I was really impressed with at the Indy 500 that I want to mention, while everything has changed over the years, one thing has stayed the same, and that is the traditions before the 500 still give me goosebumps. And there still is no idiot during TAPS you know, screams out Freebird or something as 300,000 people are being completely quiet. So, you know, as much as things change, at least we still have some traditions that say the same. Yeah, I agree with you. we got to take a quick break. But real quick, I just want to add with that, you know, everybody, all the fans, uh, we all complain that uh, everybody is in this um, Bill Belichick mode where press conferences, no one says anything. It's cliche after cliche. It's just a bunch of coach speak. You finally get an athlete that will tell you what's on his mind tell you the truth, tell you how he's feeling at that moment. And everybody wants to sit there and string him up and beat the hell out of him because he gave you his actual thoughts. It makes no sense, and people just like to complain. Uh, Anyway, uh, uh, Dennis, can you hold on? We'll get you uh, uh, one more segment here. Absolutely. No, you're a rock star. All right, more with Dennis Michelson coming up after this short break. 
You're listening to the Final Inspection Show here on Sports Radio 105.7 FM, The Fan. This is Final Inspection with Steve Zockey. Presented by the legendary Great Lakes Dragaway in Union Grove on 105.7 FM, The Fan. Welcome back to the Final Inspection Show. Jeff Orlowski, the Polish Pipe Bomb. Sitting in for Steve today, we go back out to the Great Midwest Bank Hotline. Welcome back, Dennis Michelson from D-Mike Media. Uh, so, Dennis, we uh, this weekend we've got the dual races in Detroit, which is fitting because NASCAR is at Pocono, and starting next year they're going to run a dual weekend in Pocono. Are you a big fan of that? Yeah, I am a big fan of that, and uh, it's actually kind of funny. Pocono, at least, is a track that has historically had leadership with a good sense of humor. Years ago, on frontstretch.com, where I still write uh, NASCAR articles every week, uh, I wrote that the reason that the races at Pocono were so close together is that while the tr- when the traffic finally cleared people could just turn around and come back to the track and i got an email from dr mattioli who used to run and own the track that uh he thought that was kind of funny and invited me to come out and check out their traffic control because it had improved since the last time i'd been there so at least they have a sense of humor about it but i do think it's a good idea that nascar is going to try one of these double header weekends and i think pocono is the perfect place to do it the fans that love pocono will go to Pocono and will, will, you know, say they love this place. But on TV, it's a bad race. It just simply is. It's always been, especially in this high downforce era that we have now, the racing hasn't been great because the track lends itself to being very aerotight and clean air dependent. Um, so while the fans love how they're treated at Pocono and they show up in big numbers, Maybe it's better from the television standpoint that you only got one weekend of it. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. Pocono is definitely not in my top 20 of favorite NASCAR tracks, and uh, that covers pretty much all of them. So uh, <laughs> I uh, I definitely agree with that. Uh, Dennis, what's the latest going on over at D-Mike Media? Oh, my goodness. We've had such great interviews lately. Uh, we're going to have interviews next week. Uh, Brandon Eves. Uh, is the uh, uh, hot shot in the USF 2000 series. We're going to have an interview with him. And how about soon-to-be 12-year-old late-model stock car driver Katie Hedinger? How cool is that? And, of course, still have our Indy Show uh, podcast for a, a semi-pro team out of Indianapolis uh, that plays basketball, and also the Chicago Wildfire Wildfire Fever podcast, my boys are up in Minnesota without me today, so I'm hoping they bring back a big W. So we have lots of fun stuff to talk about. And for uh, folks there in the Milwaukee area, if you want to get a real good taste for really good ultimate, drive over to Madison, Wisconsin next Saturday. Uh, you'll see uh, the, the all-star game for the AUDL, for the American Ultimate Disc League, and you're going to fall in love with this sport. Short drive over to Madison, Breeze, uh, Stevens Field, right there in downtown Madison is one of the best sites. They've got a beer garden. They've got lots of fun stuff for you to do, and you will fall in love with the game of ultimate. That's next week in Madison, Wisconsin. How do you keep track of all that stuff? You sound like the busiest man alive, Dennis. (laughs) Well, I like to stay busy, and uh, 
yeah, we have lots of fun stuff going on and more surprises down the way. Uh, always getting some interesting requests for some new podcasts to produce. And we're actually talking to its, uh, some folks uh, about an open wheel Road to Indy podcast that we hope to be bringing online soon. So stay tuned and also follow me at D Mike Media on Twitter because I'm rolling out a lot of my fantasy football stuff uh, that I write uh, at flurrysports.org, a great website. It covers a little bit of everything in sports, but really good on the fantasy sports beat. And I'm applying my analytical skills to fantasy football again. So lots of fun. Wow. And if you uh, know how to read between the lines, ladies and gentlemen, that means that Dennis is saving up for a private plane and that, uh, you know, that way he can uh, do even more events more uh, all over the country in the same weekend. This has to be your first day home in what, two and a half weeks? Uh, it's actually been a month. It's been a month since I haven't been on the road. So it's been uh, been pretty exciting. The whole month of May just flew by because between Indy and between the wildfire trips to Pittsburgh for one of the games, uh, you know, it's been a been a busy month, but a fun month at the Mike Media. Wow. wow that's nuts. Uh, sorry I shortchanged you there. No wonder uh, Mrs. Michelson is so happy. But uh, I'm sure that's going to change now that you're home for a weekend. But uh, uh, let's get to uh, to the picks here, uh, Dennis. We got the uh, dual races in Detroit for IndyCar. Who you got in today's race in Detroit? I'm going to pick Scott Dixon to win. He uh, came close to getting the pole, and I'm, I'm liking his chances uh, today. All right. What about tomorrow's race? I'm going to take Alexander Rossi. And wouldn't it be hilarious if I got the drivers right but on the wrong days? Well, that's definitely possible, especially when you got these dual races, that's for sure. Uh, and then uh, the excitement, the fun, and and, uh, and everything that is Pocono, who you got in there? One of the most consistent drivers at Pocono, who I believe is 0 for 34 or 0 for 36 in his career as far as getting to victory lane, but he is always in the top four of the last three years, Mr. Kevin Harvick. We'll get it done this weekend. Yeah, that is consistency. 0 for 34. It uh, doesn't get much more consistent than that. That's for damn sure. Uh, Dennis, thank you so much for your time and uh, and spreading some knowledge on both me and the listening audience. I appreciate it. Enjoy your weekend at home, sir. All right. Well, uh, great to be on as always. You do a fantastic job. Oh, you lie so good. We'll talk to you next week, Dennis. Thanks, buddy. <laughs> Be good. Dennis, uh, he joined us on the Great Midwest Bank Hotline. Looking to buy, build, renovate, or refinance in 2019? Look no further. Call Great Midwest Bank today. Great Midwest Bank providing simply local common sense lending to your community since 1935. Time to take a short break here. When we come back, we're going to talk to YouTube sensation David Land. That's uh, coming up here on the final inspection show here on Sports Radio 105.7 FM. The Fan. Your engines. It's time to talk about all things racing. NASCAR, IndyCar, sports cars, and Formula One. This is the Final Inspection Show, presented by the legendary Great Lakes Dragway in Union Grove. Now, here's your host, Steve Zockey. 
Welcome back to the final inspection show here on Sports Radio 105.7 FM. The fan, Jeff Orlowski, to Polish Pipe Bomb. Setting in for Steve Zaki. He's down at uh, Gateway in Iowa um, doing the uh, National Sprint Car Hall of Fame. We're going to hear from him as he interviewed the curator of that great museum. And uh, we're going to hear that coming up later in the hour. I did sort of jump the gun. I said we got David uh, Land from YouTube Sensation uh, coming on now, but uh, I've got to wait one more segment. So uh, for David, I jumped the gun on that one, and I apologize. Uh, So let's talk a little bit about what else is going on in NASCAR. Uh, Ty Dillon, he, you know, obviously uh, grandson of Richard Childress, runs in the Cup Series. Uh, he had a few ideas on how NASCAR tracks can uh, can try to grow their attendance. Obviously, it was kind of surprising. Uh, we talked about the uh, the World 600 last weekend on Sunday night, and it, it was great, honestly, to see NASCAR running in front of just packed grandstands. And it was the first time in a long time that, uh, you know, probably since Daytona that you've seen that. And there's a lot of empty seats at every single track that they go to on the circuit. Uh, so Ty Dillon was asked about what kind of changes that he would make in the sport uh, to help try to drive attendance and get more people at the track to enjoy the race live. And among them, uh, he says that as technology goes, NASCAR has to do something different. He says sitting still in the stands is just not the way the world is going uh, to keep going. The fact that we're uh, taking out stands isn't as bad of a thing if we could find new ways to bring fans to the track. I think we could take out stands and add entertainment desks to change the outlook. Uh, Tracks are doing a good job of adding more motorhome parking, uh, but they need the college kids to come and sit by the track, listen to a concert, and be able to watch the race. Uh, NASCAR needs multiple, uh, multiple, multiple, easy for me to say, dimensions of entertainment at our sporting events. Uh, Good point. Most of the uh, tracks that you see now, you know, they run uh, concerts and and stuff like that, uh, the weekend of these races. Uh, So, you know, it seems like NASCAR is definitely trying to, uh, you know, to to take, uh, obviously, you know, they've been doing it for years now, so it's not like they're taking his words to heart. But, um, you know, that they're, that they're listening and doing what they can. You know, it was funny when uh, Monster Energy took over as the title sponsor and it was announced that at certain tracks on certain weekends that NASCAR would have uh, UFC fights uh, take place in the infield on race weekend. And people's heads exploded. And, oh, my God. I'm here to watch auto racing. I don't want to see a UFC fight. You don't want to see it? Then take your your butt back to the stands. Go, you know, go grab a hot dog. You don't have to sit there and watch it. But I think that it's a good point. And uh, with the attention span that people have now, with the way that people are constantly staring at their phones, to sit there, and especially if you're at a 500-miler and – you know, you know that you're going to be there four hours plus. That is a long time to expect 80,000 people, if you're lucky enough to draw that many anymore, to just sit there and sit on your rock-hard bench. You know, there's no way I could sit four hours. 
And, you know, I'm I'm always moving around. And I can't even sit the two hours of this show. I do have to show standing up and pacing because, you know, I just I got to move around. I can't sit that long. And so I uh, I think that's a good idea. Now, Ty Dillon goes on to say, as a young person myself, you go to concerts and parties and people want to move around. They want to see different angles and it's the uh, the way that the mind is kind of growing with the younger ages. You have to entertain them at multiple levels. So if they can move around to different parts of the track and it's more of an open atmosphere. Ty Dillon says, if I were to rebuild a track, I'd build a short track or a one-mile size track with no grandstands. Find a way where the track is viewable from all standing sections and then find ways to make money in that way. That's not as stupid as it sounds. You know, uh, you have tracks, very successful tracks, local track. Look at Road America, where you buy your ticket, and you can sit in turn one. You could sit at the start-finish line. You could sit at, you know, turn 11. Sit anywhere the hell you want. You can walk that track the entire day and see every single square inch of racing from a hundred different positions and find out which one you enjoy the most. Or if you enjoy walking, uh, you can, you know, walk and yeah, I'll watch four laps here and then I'm going to go down and watch, you know, four more laps at another turn. Find out where you want to be. And if you want to experience every single uh, inch of the track and every turn and corner and all that, you can do that. And I think that with NASCAR, you know, since most of those, uh, the tracks, with the exception of two and a half, you know, the Roval now, uh, are not road courses. You know, if you have a ticket in turn four, row 32, seat 26, that's where you're expected to stay. And, you know, do I think that you get the same level of enjoyment there that you do being able to to walk all around the entire facility? No, I don't. And uh, I think that this is a great point. Now, obviously, you have to have seating. He said he'd, he'd rebuild a track with no grandstands and you can move around and sit anywhere. And that's great. You have to have a few thousand seats um, ADA, old people, um, people who sprained their ankle in the parking lot, people that fell down and scraped up their knee and don't want to walk, people that can't walk too well because they spend too much time in the parking lot. You need places for these people to sit. And uh, so you definitely have to have some grandstands. But I get the point where being able to move around at a track, see multiple different angles from multiple heights is beneficial and you could make money off it. Along with that, if you just want to break it down plain and simple, you know, I get tired of going, and this happens at, at local dirt tracks. This happens at, you know, NASCAR tracks. It happens everywhere. It happens at Brewer Games. I hate getting up during the middle of a game, uh, especially a game that I go to with my kids, and I've got to sit in line at the concession stand 
for 40 minutes to buy a hot dog and a bottle of water. That A is going to cost me $16 because the prices are stupid. And B, it's so damn slow that you miss so much of the racing action, it takes away from your experience, your memories, and your enjoyment of the day. Figure out a way to get it together and keep those stupid lines moving. And, you know, you also have to do it with the bathrooms. If you can sit there and afford to do that multi-million dollar renovation that Miller Park just did with all their concession stands, and let me tell you, it's absolutely gorgeous, and Miller Park is phenomenal inside, outside, everywhere. They do one heck of a job there. But if I'm expected to sit there and stand in line for a half hour, 45 minutes to buy a hot dog and a bottle of water... And then since I have little, you know, smaller kids, five minutes after getting back to my seat, they got to go to the bathroom. Now I got to go stand in a 25-minute bathroom line and hope that they don't uh, relieve themselves while they're waiting. It takes away from the entertainment, uh, you know, level. It takes away from the entertainment value. You think you get less bang for your buck when you're constantly waiting in line after dropping a small fortune on tickets in the first place, it just it does not add to the memories, to the enjoyment level, and and such. So I'll get off my soapbox now. But you know, I and then Ty Dillon he also went on to say uh, Wi-Fi and how tracks don't have Wi-Fi and how you sit there and you walk into Talladega and you can't even call anybody because you get no self-service from the second you walk into the track. And I understand that some of these tracks are out in the middle of nowhere, which is where these towns want them. You can't throw the you know, you can't throw a track right in the heart of downtown, you know, with all the noise, the traffic, everything like that. There's no way in hell you're going to pack 50,000, 70,000 people into into a location like that. You need an immense amount of parking space. You need everything like that. Uh, and so you've got to throw these tracks kind of out in the middle of nowhere. But um, you've, they've got to do something to make sure that not only are you able to sit there and call somebody and text the old lady. And uh, if you're a woman, text your boyfriend who might not be at the track. Do whatever you want to do. But you also have to be able that, especially with the younger generation and these guys constantly taking a picture and taking videos and all that, that they can sit there and share that stuff on social media and show to their friends and their family and however many followers they have, what a fantastic time they're having at the track. Word of mouth advertising. You know, everybody complains and myself included. I I just spent... uh, you know, 20 minutes with Dennis complaining about the people on Twitter and Facebook. But that is all word-of-mouth advertising. So you get, you know, if I sat there and say I wasn't a racing fan, all of a sudden I got 10, 15 of my buddies texting me or, you know, throw it up on Twitter about what a fantastic time it was being down at so-and-so Speedway and how they can't wait to go back next year. And it was just awesome. And you wouldn't believe how much fun you're going to have. You better believe that I'm buying tickets to go the, the next uh, year and that I will be there for sure because I don't want to miss out on a good time. 
But if all of a sudden I'm expected to sit there and watch a four-hour race sitting in the same damn seat waiting in line all day for food in the bathroom, and I take some videos on my phone that maybe they save, maybe they don't because I don't have any service while I'm there, and then I got to wait until I get to the car and get back to some semblance of civilization before I'm able to get a couple bars. Well, it's now been between tailgating time, the race, and getting out of the parking lot a good eight to ten hours since you got there. You haven't been able to talk to anybody, so now you got to call your wife. You have 10 or 12, you know, uh, friends or whatever texting you and all this kind of stuff, so you got to return all that. By the time you get done with that, you forgot to post the videos, and no one knows what a blast you had. It just makes sense. And, you know, uh, with today's day and age, social media, all that kind of stuff, man, you just got to do it. You got to do it. There's no excuse. Uh, We'll be right back. David Land, YouTube superstar, coming up next here on the Final Inspection Show, Sports Radio 105.7 FM, The Fan. Welcome back. Final inspection show here on Sports Radio 105.7 FM. The fan brought to you all like always by the legendary Great Lakes Dragaway in Union Grove and our good friends over at David Hobbs Honda in Glendale. Uh, We go right back out to the Great Midwest Bank hotline. Welcome in YouTube sensation, Mr. David Land. David, how you doing, buddy? Doing wonderful. It was a fantastic month of May, and I'm sure we're going to be talking a lot about it. Uh, It's nice to be back on the final inspection show. I missed you guys. Yeah, I missed you too. Steve's not here today. He's out in Gateway at the National Sprint Car Hall of Fame uh, getting wined and dined and enjoying that Iowa caviar, a.k.a. corn on the cob. So, uh, you know, while he's walking the red carpet, he's got me chained in the studio here, but... uh, you know, I've been begging for help for 37 straight hours, but it's nice to actually have you on the phone because you bring a reprieve for me, David. Uh, what was the well, highlight of your time down in Indy? Oh, my goodness. Uh, well, I thought the race itself was one of the best in years, honestly. Uh, it really had an old-school vibe. Uh, you know, the the battle between Simon Pagano and Alexander Rossi, I mean, you had the storylines there. But Pagano had dominated the race, and Rossi had been through so much adversity throughout the race. And, and I'll tell you, I mean, uh, you know, I don't want to sound biased or anything, but goodness gracious, I think Rossi is just – I mean – if anybody tuned into that race and wasn't an Alexander Rossi fan on the on the other side of it who didn't have a favorite driver before, I, I don't know what's wrong with you because he is just the most exciting thing about IndyCar racing right now. He's so aggressive, and uh, he's got such passion when he drives. He's really exciting to watch. And of course, he's on the pole for today's race in Detroit. But I think the other thing really to take away from it was the um, – was the failure of McLaren. I mean, it was, the more I think about it, uh, I think it may have been worse than the Penske bump in 95. And I think a lot of people thought that that could never be topped. Well, I think it may have been topped this year because that was just spectacularly awful to watch kind of unfold. Yeah, it was. And then, you know, the articles come out about how embarrassing uh, their program was run for the, you know, for a long time. Uh, not having a steering wheel in time for practice. They miss out on practice time because uh, the car's getting painted. And just, you know, what an 
just an awful look for that entire team. Yeah, I mean, uh, well, that was the thing was uh, that, that I kind of judged kind of the, the scale of how to get bumped at Indy and, and look bad. It, it, credit to Penske. They threw their cars out there when they bought them from Ray Hall in 95. They ran or genuine draft colors that you know they weren't too particular on what shade of orange the cars were and they cared about getting track time and, and McLaren was completely the opposite uh, I, I could not believe you know it, we it, it did stink a little bit obviously I think everybody was kind of, it was pretty obvious when they lost you know two days of track time it was like where are they Hunkos Racing got out and even their sister car Carlin Racing with Pato Award was able to get out in in less than one day uh, and they were not unable to. And when you discovered the reason, it's just—I mean, it's unbelievable. It's going to be—it's going to go down as one of the the most infamous stories in Indy 500 history, and especially because they got bumped by a team which had no money and lost both their sponsors. Yeah, yeah, it's uh, unbelievable story. It is an unbelievable story, and just you know, oh man, just an awful, awful uh, set of circumstances going on over there. Um, and like you said, you know, I, I, I talked with Steve Zaki earlier in the show and, uh, talked with Dennis Michelson as well. Now, you know, obviously Memorial day, Sunday, the biggest day in auto racing F1 at Monaco, Indy 500 world 600 for NASCAR. Uh, this is probably the fifth to eight, eight years in a row now where the Indy 500 completely blows the doors off as far as excitement and uh, and just entertainment value over NASCAR, I'm starting to think that NASCAR might have to move their race to either Saturday or Monday because they constantly get embarrassed on the biggest stage, on the biggest night in auto racing. Uh, you know, when you have the back and forth uh, passing for the lead, coming down the last five laps of the greatest race in, in racing uh, like that happened in, in Indianapolis, there is no way NASCAR can sit there and follow that up and, and compete on a level playing field. And if you just look at it, take the racing for the lead out of it, the the 500 was night and day more exciting than the 600 that night. And it's been going on for years, David. Well, there were, there's been some fascinating talk about that uh, in kind of the aftermath of this, because, um, I'm sure you're aware at this point that there's been a lot of talk about uh, NASCAR and IndyCar working together, uh, possibly on an event, a doubleheader somewhere. Uh, And now even recently, more people are starting to float the idea of moving the 600 or some people are suggesting moving the 500, which uh, quite rightly has been laughed off, uh, to try to encourage drivers to do the double, do both the 600 and 500. And the thing that I would put forward on some of this uh, cooperation between NASCAR or this proposed cooperation between NASCAR and IndyCar is that, you know, when IndyCar was kind of in the position that NASCAR is in, uh, NASCAR was not extending a helping hand to IndyCar very much. So I I, I just kind of find it funny that when the shoe is on the other foot, NASCAR is the one kind of holding their hand out and saying, uh, please help us, IndyCar, work with us. So we need some help. Yeah, yeah, how the times have changed, how the times have changed. Uh, One of the good things about that NASCAR race is that finally after weeks and weeks and a couple years now of sitting there and watching watching NASCAR and and these races in front of 
you know, if I say half full stands, that's that's very generous. It was nice to see that they actually had uh, a heck of a crowd out there. So at least they had that going for them and that the drivers were able to put on a show in front of a packed house. But um, what was your take on Simon Pagano and, and his four-legged buddy kind of stealing the show in victory lane? Well, there always seems to be something. There's always some sort of a funny thing that the winners seem to do these days that kind of steals the headlines. And uh, this year it was the dog, uh, Norman Pagano. You know, I, I don't have a problem with it. Uh, I would prefer that uh, that doesn't become a tradition to bring your dog into victory lane. Um, but from a marketing promotional standpoint, uh, I think that's that's a good thing for the sport to have a driver associated with a furry friend. Uh, I think that will probably help some of the more casual people. They will remember Simon Pagano as the guy with the dog. So uh, even if it's a bit goofy for some of us hardcore fans, I think overall it's a good thing. All right. Well, I think it's just a matter of time. If people are still going to bring their pets, uh, before they figure out a way to start putting their sponsor hats on the pets, uh, the, uh, little uh, little Fluffy is going to be wearing a fire suit uh, pretty much, you know, with the sponsors tagged all over it and everything like that. And uh, it's going to get outrageous real quick, David. I want to see someone bring a goldfish uh, to victory lane. See, now you're talking. Now you're talking. <laughs> and I, I'm not a dog guy, so, you know, it. Uh, I don't know. It was just, to me, it was just weird. But, uh, but yeah, one hell of a race. Simon Pagano sweeps the month of May in Indianapolis, wins the pole, wins the 500, wins the Grand Prix of Indianapolis. I was kind of shocked because uh, when he was battling with Rossi, the commentators were saying, you know, Race win, possibly uh, ride-saving win, career-saving win for Pagano. Was it that? Was he in that dire of straits going into the 500? If you listen to Roger Penske, he wasn't, and um, and I think that there's been a little bit of hyperbole associated with Simon Pagano and his job security. Uh, I think a lot of people, uh, and not wrong, by the way, to look at uh, Alexander Rossi being hired by Penske to run the endurance races on the sports car side of things uh, as a potential uh, future landing spot for Alexander Rossi. Uh, And I think that still could happen. There's nothing stopping Roger Penske from entering four cars full-time if he wanted to hire Alexander Rossi. But, uh, you know, Roger hired Simon Pagano. And just a couple years ago, Pagano was winning championships for for Roger. So uh, it it doesn't really surprise me to see him kind of have a career renaissance. I think it took him a little while to get to grips with the new Universal Aero kit. Um, But it's pretty clear that now he uh, has gotten to grips with it. Uh, The wins are coming very quickly, and it looks like he's going to be a championship contender. And this monkey off his back by winning the 500 uh he may be an indy 500 winner uh multiple times as well so i, I think his career is now uh safe if there was any question uh, uh that he wouldn't be yeah well it uh you know and it's funny how obviously his schedule was absolutely insane after winning the 500 and uh you basically travel all over the country doing appearances and everything like that and uh, six short days later, you got to get right back in that race car and do dual one of two 
in Detroit. And uh, Simon Pagano, you know, he qualified uh, 12th in uh, today's race, 13th in tomorrow. So it uh, he might be paying the price for all the uh, all the promotional things after the 500. Yeah, that is one of the things that um, that I'd like to see IndyCar take a look at at some point is the schedule. Uh, I don't know if they should move Detroit or put another race there. Hey, maybe one in Milwaukee. Uh, but uh, hello, <laughs> you know, uh, yeah, there you go. Uh, but uh, I, I don't know. Uh, that, but you know, thinking back into the past, there have been some drivers who have had successes in Detroit after the fi- winning the 500. I just think about a couple years ago when Takuma Sato was on the pole in Detroit after running that uh, marathon of uh, media appearances. So I don't know. Uh, we'll have to see in the race how Pagano performs, uh, but it is it is definitely an endurance test to do a 500 mile race, win it, and then uh, do all that media appearances, and then oh yeah, you've got to go to one of the you know the most demanding street circuits and run two races in one weekend. Yeah, who who shocked you with the way that they ran at Indianapolis? Was you know was Santino it like Ferrucci. yeah, that's what I was gonna say. San Santino Ferrucci. That uh, you know. Uh, it didn't shock me uh, that that he ran that well uh, because I think if uh, if you had paid attention during the month of May, it was clear that he was very fast and very aggressive. Um, but I think it was kind of the Carlos Munoz effect uh, from a couple years ago. You may remember that everybody thought Carlos Munoz was crazy and he was very fast, but he was going to stick it in the wall. And then when he got to the race, he was just fine and he finished second. Um, and this was quite the same thing. Santino just drove a fantastic race. Uh, he looked very good. He was the highest of his teammates. He beat Bordet. He beat uh, James Davison, and neither of them are slouches, I don't think. Uh, so, uh, you know, it was it's great. Uh, it was great to see, and uh, and he made some amazing moves to avoid that big wreck in turn three. Um, and he, again, he just you know he just was there at the end, and he drove about as well as you could as a rookie. Uh, you know, and, and it's kind of nice to see uh, him have a bit of a career renaissance after the way he kind of. Uh, exited Formula 2 last year. So, uh, you know, it's good to kind of see that redemption story. And um, he definitely looks like a guy who may end up uh, winning a race uh, in the near future if he sticks with Dale Coyne racing. Yeah, yeah, you got that right. Uh, Any chance you could stick around for one more segment here, David? I believe I could. All right, fantastic. We got to take a quick break here. And when we come back, we'll have more with YouTube sensation David Land you're uh, buckled up with the final inspection show here on Sports Radio 105.7 FM, The Fan. This is Final Inspection with Steve Zockey. Presented by the legendary Great Lakes Dragaway in Union Grove. On 105.7 FM, The Fan. Welcome back to the Final Inspection Show here on Sports Radio 105.7 FM, The Fan. Can't keep this guy on hold too long. YouTube sensation. Absolute sensation. David Land. Subscribe to his channel. It is uh, titled uh, David Land. And uh, very easy to spell. Very easy to remember. So, uh, David, welcome back. Now, it's kind of funny that uh, you got the dual races going on in IndyCar this weekend. The same weekend that NASCAR is uh, racing the trick, tricky triangle at Pocono when next season they're going to steal IndyCar's idea and run a dual weekend at Pocono. So instead of having two races about uh, 
you know, four weeks apart, both at Pocono. They're going to combine it into one weekend. What do you think about NASCAR uh, doing the combined weekend next season? Well, you know, when I heard it announced, I was a little bit concerned for Pocono's revenue uh, because, of course, they are one of the last independent tracks on the NASCAR schedule. And essentially, they're losing a date, even though they're not really. Um, So I, I was a little bit concerned about that. Uh, we'll have to see how it goes. I don't think they've announced race distances yet, though I would be very concerned if they're going to run two 400-mile races back-to-back. I think that could get very tedious very quickly. Um, I don't know. It, it could be interesting, but I'm, I'm having a feeling it's not going to be that that spectacular just because it's Pocono, and unfortunately Pocono just uh, just doesn't really – do it for nascar does it at least these days no it sure doesn't uh we were talking with uh um michael dennis michelson about it and how you know pocono is i don't know too many you know i guess there's people out there that just absolutely love pocono uh i am definitely not in that uh category Uh, i will be sitting there probably pouring just pot after pot of coffee trying to stay awake through that race. I find it extremely boring. But maybe with this new package, we'll see, and something will happen. But uh, I I don't know. So I'm thankful that they're going to load it all in one weekend, and then that way, you know, I have one boring weekend, and, uh, and, I, and I get it out of the way. But, yeah, I don't think there's any way that they can keep them both at 400 miles either. You know, maybe have a 400 and a 250, maybe have two 300-milers. Something like that, but they they definitely need to shorten it. Yeah, and, and speaking of shorten, I think one of the things that NASCAR was thinking was, you know, kind of listening to some of the criticism that, that many of people, including myself, have made of them, is that their schedule is too damn long. So I think uh, I think them taking a weekend out but not losing a, a, an event, so to speak, uh, was, a, was a good solution uh, short term to kind of make the schedule end a little bit earlier in the year to keep – got to keep people interested i agree i agree that the schedule is too long i like the way that they're doing it with the duel uh you know to save a week i think that uh there needs to be uh, at least two to four midweek races where you can shave a month off the schedule as well one of the things i love about nascar is that Every single week, with the exception of maybe three weeks during the entire season, and they run basically nine months uh, strong, is that there's a race every every single week for about nine months long. And I think that for me, because I'm a bigger NASCAR fan than I am IndyCar fan, I think that sometimes IndyCar takes way too long of a break in between races where I kind of forget that they're even running and uh you know it's not that i lose my interest but i just it moves to the back burner do you think indycar needs to do anything to their schedule or do you like it the way it is they need to space it out better i think to your point uh there are two large of gaps in between some of the races but at the same time, I think there are too many races in a row at some points in the calendar. I mean, the teams right now, I think uh, the, they're in kind of a death march right now. Indy GP, Indy 500 qualifying, Indy 500, two races in Detroit, Texas. I think they go to Road America afterwards without a break. So, um, you know, I, I, I think you could probably stick at least one week in between, maybe move one of the races in between the break uh, 
between I think it's Pocono and uh, and Gateway. There's a really large gap in the schedule, which I wish would uh, they would kind of fix. Um, but yeah, I, I don't think they I don't think they have a very good uh, gap in the schedule right now, so to speak. Yeah, I agree. I agree. If they space it out and you know, and I'm all for uh, them getting a week off after the Indy 500. You know, I think that for them to sit there and spend a month straight and those guys are working their tails off down there trying to squeeze every single tenth of horsepower out of their equipment that, you know, it definitely would not, I don't think it would be a bad thing to take this week off. The fact that, you know, like you said, you sit there and, you know, you got that entire month of doing nothing but just busting your tail, and now all of a sudden you got two races back-to-back the very next weekend. That's that's an exhausting schedule for anybody. And, uh, you know, at least the good thing is is that Indy and Detroit aren't that far away from each other. You know, it's a hell of a lot better than Indianapolis, and then they're going out to race in California somewhere. But uh, but that's still it, – it's a brutal stretch for IndyCar right now. Well, even then, some of the scheduling is is kind of weird because I think they go to they go to uh, Portland and the, or at least last year they went to Portland, then they went back they went to Gateway, and then they went back out to California. <laughs> Why not reschedule the East Coast race to be uh, you know away from the West Coast, or at least you know synchronize the West Coast races so the teams don't have to go back and forth between Indianapolis. It's just some of the some of the scheduling things are a little bit weird from that perspective. Yeah, I agree with you. All right, since we're talking about uh, the dual races in Detroit, uh, why don't you take your best stab? Who's going to win today? Today, well, I think I think it's going to be Rossi, and I think it's he's going to make it pretty boring unless there's a yellow that catches him out in terms of uh, pit strategy. I think Rossi's probably going to run away with it. Race two, that's where things kind of get interesting because you've got the fatigue element. You've got the potential uh, for all sorts of calamity to happen. I think it's also going to rain in Detroit. Uh, well, maybe that might change things today. Actually, let me change my pick. Well, I'm going to pick Rossi for Sunday, and um, let's go really out on it. Let's say Ferrucci. Let's say Ferrucci today. Uh, he's usually pretty good in the rain, uh, and, he, and Dale Coyne's always good on strategy. So uh, we'll say Ferrucci. We'll, we'll go way out on a limb today and say Santino's going to win. Yeah, that's one hell of a limb considering he starts 22nd today, but I like it. I like it. Uh, who do you got winning Pocono tomorrow? Oh, that's that's always a, a fun one, isn't it? Uh, I, I got a bit of a feeling about Boyer. Uh, Boyer seems to be on a bit of a hot streak at the moment. Um, but at the same time, I think Kyle Busch really has the flat two-and-a-half-mile tracks dialed in. Uh, maybe Brad Keselowski too, uh, but I think Kyle's probably the one I would pick. Yeah, that's a safe bet. I, uh, I've i learned early this season, stay away from Stuart Haas. I think they're cursed this year, having sniffed victory lane once. And, uh, you know, the drought keeps getting longer and longer. So with the team that dominated, you know, Harvick won, what, eight races last season. Uh, Boyer found victory lane. They all did. And, uh for them to be struggling like they are and have uh, zero wins so far. That, uh, oh, how the mighty have fallen, David. So, <laughs> makes uh, makes for interesting storylines coming down the stretch here. What's the latest going on at your YouTube channel? 
Well, I took a little bit of a vacation after the 500, but we're going to be getting back to it. If you're watching the duel in Detroit, uh, both uh, today and tomorrow, I'll be having videos uh, kind of discussing what happened in those races. So if you want to hear some additional analysis, that's where you should be headed. And I've got plenty of more content coming. This is this is when things get really exciting because it's the summertime. We've got the 24 hours of Le Mans coming up. So I should have some coverage of that event, event as well. Won't be flying there uh, maybe next year, but uh, yeah, uh, you should have a lot of fun stuff in June, July. Uh, lots of racing to cover. Yeah, well, you do a fantastic job. I, I love what you do and the videos that you post and uh, just you're very knowledgeable and I don't, uh, I'm not saying that just to kiss your butt cause you're on the show. It, uh, it's great what you do and, uh, everybody, you should check him out. David land on YouTube, like his channel, follow him, watch those videos. It, uh, you'll only get smarter. So great job, David. Thank you so much for taking some time to join the show today. I appreciate it. And I appreciate that shout-out, Jeff. It means a lot to me. Uh, I actually got to meet a whole lot of uh, my viewers at Indianapolis, and it's just humbling sometimes uh, to hear words like that that are so kind. So thank you. Well, yeah, I saw, you know, uh, I think you posted it on uh, Facebook or uh, or Twitter, and, uh, you know, you had a bunch of, a bunch of guys uh, all hanging out with you, and that's great, man, to sit there and, you know, feel the love from the people that, that check you out every week. And, uh you know, you're a man of the people. You're you're one of us, and uh, and that's good stuff. Keep it up, and uh, thank you again, and we'll talk to you soon, David. Sounds good. Thank you so much, Jeff. All right. Enjoy Detroit. That was David Land. He joined us on the Great Midwest Bank Hotline. Looking to buy, build, renovate, or refinance in 2019? Look no further. Call Great Midwest Bank today. Great Midwest Bank. They provide simply local common sense lending to your community since the great year of 1935. Yeah, David Land, he does a phenomenal job. I, I can't say enough about uh, about what he does on YouTube. And, uh, you know, you guys definitely, like I said, I'm not just saying it because he's on the show. Uh, you will get smarter from watching his videos. So uh, thank you to him for joining us. We got one last break here on the final inspection show. When we come back, you're going to hear from uh, Steve Zaki. He interviewed the curator at the National Sprint Car Hall of Fame. We're going to hear that next and uh, and tie a bow on this show here. You're listening to the final inspection show here on Sports Radio 105.7 FM, The Fan. And welcome back to the Final Inspection Show. Steve Zotke in Knoxville, Iowa at the National Sprint Car Hall of Fame induction ceremonies. And I'm here with Bill Wright, the curator, coordinator of the National Sprint Car Hall of Fame. And uh, how long have you been in this position? Uh, this is uh, my third induction banquet, so a uh, few years now. Of course, Tom Schmay, who's being inducted today, uh, was the curator for 25 years and uh, and executive director as well uh, some of those years and took over for him. Uh, he retired to upstate new york and uh, came in uh and uh, took over for him but i've been involved with the museum for a lot of years uh i was actually a voting member of the hall of fame uh, for several years and then uh, i was on the advisory board and did some other things for the hall of fame so uh really enjoy the position and it's been a lot of fun and uh you guys always um 
have a, a Hall of Fame member exhibit, and currently right now it's the A.J. Foyt exhibit, and there are some pretty cool cars in that exhibit, isn't there? Absolutely. Um, it's the biggest exhibit we've had as far as the number of cars uh, so far in our salute to champions that we do every summer. Uh, we have three of his Indy 500 winning cars represented. Um, you know, sprint car he drove, uh, silver crown car he drove, midget he drove. Uh, later this summer we'll be getting the GT40, the backup car that of the 24-hour Le Mans that he won with Dan Gurney, and uh, also another Indy car. So uh, we'll have nine cars total by the time the Nationals rolls around. And uh, quite a uh, neat group. I'm also on the induction committee, and uh, we have a builder, uh, M.A. Brown, is on there uh, from the pre 45 uh, part of it. Is uh, Bill Endicott, IMCA uh, racer, uh, Richard the Gasman Griffin, a lot of fans may uh, remember, five time SCRA champion, Jason Johnson, uh, who was 2016 Knoxville Nationals champion, of course, Tom Schmay that we mentioned, uh, dear friend of mine, uh, Stevie Smith, who uh, was the hot young shoe in the when I really started to uh, pay attention to World of Outlaws in the in the early '80s, and a son of uh, Steve Smith, part of the Pennsylvania uh, posse, C.K. Spurlock, who had those beautiful gambler chassis in the mid '80s, and then of course Greg Stevens, one of the uh, stalwarts in of uh, documenting the sport uh, as a videographer and filmmaker, and uh, any of those that kind of stick out to you, the personally on a personal point of view. Oh, not really. I guess other than Wild Bill Endicott, who I was predated me a little bit. All of us. <laughs> all, all of us. And um, what's great about this year's class is there's going to be representation uh, for each one of them. You know, sometimes we can't find a family representative, especially pre 1945. And mm-hmm. and uh, Bill Endicott's uh, grandson and great grandson are going to be here to accept. And and just a great honor to have them here. Um, you know, I have so many memories about all of our inductees and it's been a great weekend of, of festivities here uh meeting some of uh them and mostly their families and and uh, things like that coming in for our, our friday celebration and and uh, all those sorts of things but uh yeah got to spend a lot of time with ck spurlock yesterday and man he's got some stories and um he told me his greatest fear is if he watches the races tonight, he'll jump right back in the chassis building business, <laughs> which he hasn't been in for decades. But uh, um, but uh, just real neat people that are being du- inducted this year. I guess uh, from a personal level, us at the National Sprint Car Hall of Fame Museum love seeing Tom Schmay being inducted. Yes. And, and uh, even though he tries to shy away from the spotlight, he can't escape it today. So uh, he'll be up there, and, and it'll be good to celebrate Tom being inducted. And it was definitely a team that put this together. It came a kind of a, a dream in the late 80s and, and came to fruition in uh, 1992. And Tom was a large part of that. But what's neat about the National Sprint Car Hall of Fame is you guys don't rest on your laurels. There's always something new. And, of course, the the, the, the big uh, addition was the Brian Clausen uh, suites that were added uh, two years ago, or maybe a year ago, I think it was. And uh, Bob Baker, the president, uh, took me and Gene Crucian uh, for a tour in those yesterdays. Mm-hmm. And really, really impressive uh, how you guys were able to tie that in. And w- what's your feelings on that? I, I mean, the feedback on that you've been getting from the fans and, and, and the, the suite holders themselves. Well, I think everybody thinks it's beautiful, you know. Uh, from uh, from the ground up, it was just quite a project. It only took t- 10 months for Newman Construction to get it done, which is incredible. You know, we watched some other projects take years and years, and sure. there might be one or two school rooms or, or whatever. But uh, uh, And it's been well-received. Um, 
the uh, leaseholders that we have, the suite holders, have been really great about uh, decking and decking those out, and they compete with each other, and, and that really helps us. Uh, Don Lamberti, the founder of Casey's General Stores, years and years ago, uh, came up with the idea of the suites overlooking the racetrack because museums are money losers, right? Uh, and uh, for us to have the staff we do that can travel the country and do those sorts of things. Um, we couldn't do that without the kind of revenue that we get mm-hmm. from the suites. And uh, and we can't celebrate the sport like we want to do, not only in our country but other countries as well, uh, without uh, that support that we get from the suites. So uh, to add 12 more, you know, for a while it's going to be a growing pain as far as mortgage payments. Sure. But because uh, we still owe on it and, and uh, all contributions to it are tax deductible, you okay. know. So, but uh, uh, since uh, – since it was built, it's just been a great project, and, and it's brought a lot of emotion for a lot of people, but a, also a lot of joy, and it's the best way to see the Knoxville Raceway and, and racing there. You bet. Well, Bill, we certainly appreciate you taking time out and uh, looking forward to another year uh, and uh, doing this again next year. Yep. Thank you, Steve, and uh, we want to welcome anybody to come down and see our salute to uh, A.J. Foyt Jr. and and uh, all the things we have going on. We also have a Jesse Hockett salute right now that we're doing. Uh, so uh, we want to invite people down. You know, every summer we we have uh, different things in the museum. You know, we try to have 20, 25 different cars in there, and, and uh, everything changes every year. So we don't want people to think they're going to see the same thing over and over because we change a lot. That was Bill Wright, museum coordinator, a National Sprint Car Hall of Fame, and the final inspection show brought to you by the legendary Great Lakes Dragway in Union Grove, along with David Hobbs Honda. All right. Great job, Steve. Fantastic interview. I want to thank all our guests that joined us today here on the final inspection show. Dennis Michelson, Steve Zaki, David Land, uh, just fantastic. Thank you guys all for listening. Uh, my picks, no one cares. My picks, uh, the duel today, give me uh, Felix Rosenquist. The duel tomorrow, I will take, uh, I don't know, I'll go with Patio Ward. And then uh, for NASCAR, I'm going to go with Alex Bowman. I think he's pissed off and ready to find victory lane. So, but uh, again, thank you guys very much for tuning in to the final inspection show every Saturday here from noon to two right here on the fan. Thanks to uh, Great Lakes Dragaway in Union Grove. Fantastic sponsor. Check out their Facebook page. Follow them there. Uh, You can still get your 2019 season tickets. Makes a great gift. Your wife, your girlfriend, both of them, they will love it. And uh, David Hobbs Honda, beautiful day to buy a new or used car. Head out to Glendale and see our friends at David Hobbs Honda. Thank you guys very much. We'll talk to you next week. This is the final inspection show here on Sports Radio 105.7 FM, The Fan. Old man winter here. If I had it my way, it would stay winter all year long. Short days, wind chill, black ice, and a good polar vortex. Oh, <laughs> Heaven. Wait, is it getting warm in here? Your cold snap is over, old man winter. Spring has arrived. Spring. Spring is here, which means it's the perfect time to get away in the Hyundai you've always wanted. Visit the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event, where you can get great deals on all of our award-winning Hyundai models, like the tech-filled Tucson and Kona, as well as the spacious Palisade. Enjoy wherever you go with the peace of mind that comes with America's best warranty and three years or 36,000 miles of complimentary maintenance. But hurry in. These deals won't last. Add more joy to your journey at the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Now get 0% APR or up to 1500 bonus cash on the Hyundai Tucson. Now, during the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. 
Offers end soon. Call 562-314-4603 for details.